What's up, everybody? So today we're doing a Two Scout Geeks episode completely on my favorite scout book, Lawn Live Pro Wrestling. If you've heard anything from me, you know that this is not just my favorite book. It is the book I will not stop talking about. So to give you some quick information before we really get into this episode, I'm going to first tell you about the book. And its description, and I'm going to give you a factor of just how long this book's actually been out. So, uh, on multiple sites, they've cited that the book released on August 8th, 2018. So, it's been out for a while. Um, and then on the Scout page, it is written by James Hayek, and also artist and cover artist is Branko Jovanovic. Um, there are also variants done by different people, but those are the ones who works on the main issue of the book. So, Evan Dandy is a former pro wrestler turned talk show host who has transcended the wrestling business and has become a huge pop culture superstar. On the eve of the talk show's network premiere, Evan's integrity and former profession come under fire. Will Evan be able to control his temper, or will the la- he, will he lash out? Put his network deal in jeopardy. Find out in the premiere episode of Scout's new nonstop imprint. Now, first off, yes, it's been a while since there's been another issue of this. And James Hayek, I'm looking at you and I'm going to keep looking at you to tell you, please make this happen. So I'm going to give more of a reference into this episode and talk about my history with wrestling, what I loved about this book, and I'll just tell how I got into wrestling and loving it. So to go there, we're going to go back to when I was a kid, when you first, when I first got into it. Um, during that time, there was a lot of wrestling. There was WCW and there was WWE. And uh, I'm not going to do too much research in this because I kind of just want to talk off the cuff about uh, what I loved and how I loved it. But uh, wrestling was always uh, a thing in my household, liked it. But the thing that made me start to love it was uh, Rey Mysterio Jr., who uh, at the time I had saw on WCW. Um, he was not the... He's he's more like the WWE form he is now because he's back in WWE. Um, but he wasn't the giant build that he, is, he was during his first tenure with WWE. He was, uh, you know, an actual cruiserweight. But uh, there was that time with WWE that wrestlers had to look buff. And if they didn't, they didn't get anywhere. Um, but I remember the first time I saw him as a kid and with how short he is, because, yes, he is short. I looked at him and saw, wow, I, I can wrestle. Because to me, you looked at Rey Mysterio, especially in WCW and a lot of the cruiserweights, which was the best part about WCW for a long time, was they looked normal. They didn't look like they were huge, monstrous people. They didn't have gigantic, oversized muscles and everything. They looked like, you know, you and me. And the crazy part was that the things they could pull off were 
unbelievable. The Huracaranas, the uh, Off the Top Ropes, the 619, the, there's just countless moves that the Cruiserweights did that made them such a spectacle, especially with WCW, and of course with uh, Lucha Libre, and its time in WCW was a big thing because you had uh, you had Rey Mysterio, you had Juventud Guerrero, you had Psychosis, you had um, uh, just tons and tons of wrestlers that were amazing at their trade. Um, and what drew me in the most at that time was uh, Rey Mysterio versus Dean Malenko, the man of a thousand holes. Those two lit it up. Those two, every time they fought, and it was great because they were two different styles too. It wasn't like we were talking about two luchadors going at it. Dean Malenko was more of a, a mathematician where he was uh, submissions, holds, moves like that. And Rey Mysterio was the luchador and the high flyer. And they just, they connected. And at this time, I didn't know it then, but uh, Rey Mysterio was like 18, 19. So when he was first on the, the network really popping, he was barely a, like out of high school kid. Um, but he just lit it up and, uh, those two really blew up the market there. Um, but the cruiserweight division was just so amazing. Um, you had all of them. I mean, even Chris Jericho, you can, uh, his ties go all the way back to then. And that was, uh, one of his big breaks with the cruiserweight division in WCW. So I wanted to give that just to give you an idea of how I got into wrestling. But what I really want to talk about is everything that, really connects this book to any wrestling fan and why they should get it. Um, the reason I love this book is Evan Dandy and Long Live Pro Wrestling is really about the the storytelling that you build within wrestling, which a lot of people all their talk about wrestling's it, it is it's a it's a theater almost, but it's a choreographed wrestling entertainment it's it's entertainment. Uh, some of the stories now, I know a lot of us uh, with current WWE stories get boring or there's too much talking. Um, and there's always like a, a misbalance. Uh, you get it less, of course, in the indies now or NXT who pulls it off very well where they can balance it. Uh, and sometimes make guys way better than they are with just how good they do the storytelling. But it's one of those things where this book really paints the picture of the storytelling, how you do the storytelling, and also the backstage stuff. So, for me, uh, we're going to spoiler spoiler this with, but like I said, this book's been out for two years or roughly about that. We're talking about a book that really paints the picture of just how it is, like, because um, it even talks about his mentor in the issue uh, having a drug addiction. And that's a big thing in wrestling. There was tons of wrestlers who have passed because of it. Steroids. You want to go into all kinds of stuff like that. But there's just so much uh, truth to this story. Um, Evan Dandy sets up and makes it look like he's on a talk show. He's on the talk show and the talk show host at the time sounds like he's uh, trying to get Evan to go off and point out all of his flaws. Evan finally goes off. He punches him. And then we find out towards the end of the book that it turns out it was all set up by Evan Dandy and the talk show host because it was it just drew hype to both their shows. It made the talk show host even more talked about and people are watching a show and Evan's show is going to be watched insanely. And it's a feud that they can build and grow that really just 
you know, was set up by them, but that's wrestling. And if you look at a lot of people now, there's tons of wrestlers in other trades of the media. Now you got uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, which at this point, less people remember him as the wrestler, more people remember him as the movie star. When the truth is when the rock was in uh, WWE, not only did he draw some of the most attention that wrestling's ever had, he created words like jabroni and stuff like that that literally were added to the Webster Dictionary. So random words this guy was saying became so well-known and out there that it literally was added to Webster's Dictionary. So as much as you want to say wrestling uh, doesn't have an impact on most lives and everything, it 100% does. And uh, that that time, especially in WWE, WWF at the time, was one of those things where it was immensely impactful on the world around it. Um, I mean, because almost everybody remembers the Degeneration X, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Kurt Angle, The Undertaker, who at this point has been, is the most recognizable name probably in wrestling. But you've got so much that these guys did in there that has transcended wrestling. Um, so you got Rock who did that. You've got Batista who's done that. And there's other guys who do do acting, not as big as anybody, uh, or like marquee title kind of way, but it's definitely out there and they've done that. And even before that, you've had when you had the, in my opinion, horrible acting of Hollywood Hulk Hogan, but even Hollywood Hulk Hogan was in a Rocky movie. He had some other bad movies, but he was in a Rocky movie. You had Roddy Roddy Piper, who, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who had a, his own movie, who, at this point, I don't think anyone even remembers the movie. They just remember the the lines from the movie. Like, he, it was just, he was one another one of those guys who, when he delivered something, it was so good, you had to listen. And most people only know Rowdy Roddy Piper now because of uh, Ronda Rousey, which, uh, I mean, arguably understandable because, I mean, she was an amazing UFC fighter who then went into wrestling and was an insanely good wrestler. So... But you see the impact that new wrestlers now or newer people in other businesses and stuff or, you know, other sports have had an impact because of wrestling. Um, but so you see like the extra work. So one of the things uh, that I really want to talk about this book is uh, I'm kind of going to delve into some of the stuff that the storytelling, the building and all that gets to. So we're going to take a quick break right here and we'll get right back to you. On Two Scout Geeks. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Joey Galvez here with the Two Scout Geeks. And this is a small little tidbit that I like to call Kickstarter Corner. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about Kara Prime Handbook from Brian Silverbacks. This is a really cool Kickstarter that just launched not too long ago from our friend of the show, Brian Silverbacks. It's the world that comes from Loggerhead, his creation that he came out with not too long ago from Scout Comics. This is really cool. This gives you a ton of details and backstory of all the characters that he's going to create this world with. So if you guys want to go and back Kara Prime Handbook, head on over to Kickstarter and just type in Kara Prime and it'll pop right up. Head on over right now, back this one. He's got 52 backers right now, but man, he's got some really great goals. And guess what? It's only 10 bucks per cover. 10 bucks. You guys can spare 10 bucks. I did. So head on over to the Carrick Prime on Kickstarter. 
right now from Brian Silverbacks. Now on to the show. All right, everybody. So I did want to tell everybody that this is the final week you will hear from my annoying voice all by itself. And you will hear from me and Joey uh, starting next week with some really good books. And we have a lot planned in the future. Um, So I wanted to get into the storytelling aspect of wrestling and how it's really impacted a ton of people, really made strides in changing tons of things, but how it's the big part. Like it's, I mean, even now with, uh, you've got the rock who's done acting and directing. He's done his own TV shows, the ballers. Um, he's done his own, uh, reality TV shows is it's one of those things where it's a lot of that from him is because of wrestling, the storytelling there, the time it takes to make things like, um, cause, uh, one of the things I, I remember is that, um, the rock, uh, anytime he got a stone cold stunner, from Stone Cold Steve Austin, he sold it. And most people remember him for overselling the move. Now, it was entertaining, but it turns out that they also had a little, uh, it sounds like they had a little backstage thing where it was for however oversold he could do it, he had to deal with uh, Stone Cold that if it was uh, more oversold uh, than the last one, uh, that night, that person, the whoever lost or won, uh, that bet would uh, have to buy beer. So it was a fun little story there. But so all of that is storytelling. And if you go to the that time, especially Ruthless Aggression with uh, wrestling, you see The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Their characters were world known. Everyone remembers Austin 316. Everyone remembers The Rock, uh, the people's champ. I mean... The first time I remember when uh, it was announced that The Rock in uh, Scorpion King, uh, it wasn't Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Dwayne Johnson in Scorpion King. It was The Rock. Like, there was no in-between. It was just The Rock is in The Scorpion King. There was no Dwayne Johnson. And if there was, it was barely put on the poster. Now, granted, it's uh, it's okay because uh, that was not a great movie for The Rock. Nor was the Scorpion King. But uh, at this point, we now know The Rock for insanely good movies. Um, uh, everyone knows him, if you have kids especially, for uh, Moana as uh, Maui. But he's transcended everything um, with, but through wrestling. So the reason this book is also really important to me is it points out, like, say what you want if you're not a wrestling fan. You have to admit that these guys and where they're at, Batista, The Rock, they would not be here if it were not for wrestling because a lot of what they do pulls from that. I mean, The Rock now owns also uh, the XFL, which has failed twice. But now in The Rock hands, it seems like everybody's like, oh, sweet, it's going to work now. Uh, it's just because one of those things of like, because now he's done it so long and so well that even some of the movies that he did when he started off that weren't great, Except for the rundown. If you haven't seen the rundown, you need to go see that. That movie is phenomenal. It's it's one of those things where he's had he had a period where he had tons of bad movies, but he stuck with it so long and stuck with the trade so long and what he could do that now you're like, all right, I'm in. Uh, and even now you see John Cena, who's kind of done weird movies here and there, family movies, stuff like that. And some of them are good. Some of them are great. He's been really good at some of his comedy movies. Is uh. 
you're you're more and more saying, okay, I'm I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. And now he's got uh, Suicide Squad he's in this year or the this coming year. And it's one of those things where you got to say, sure, let's check it out because it could come out. And even though it's kind of a Suicide Squad movie, so he may be a character that dies or doesn't die. We won't know until we watch. You're in because it's like you're willing to see because of the story they build themselves. I mean, so many of these guys. Now, there's also one big factor I want to talk about this book because in the uh, because in the free comic book day issue of Midnight Sky, there is a short bit and the first story of Long Life Pro Wrestling. Now. The reason that's also huge is that's actually the precursor to the actual book, and it actually gives a little more story. At that time, uh, Evan Dandy's in there with another wrestler, and somebody throws, I think it was a piss cup at him, and uh, they were meant to hit the other wrestler. It hit Evan, and because of the the politics of wrestling, which this definitely pays to WWE big time, Evan said, I'm done, and he's moving on. And at the end of the issue, the owner comes to Evan. And he's like, hey, you know, it's all good. And I was like, no, we're done. Um, because we see that a lot now in wrestling. Um, where guys kind of just move on and they're done with wrestling because it's they just get fed up with it. Um, now, politics, secretly, if you're not a wrestling fan, there's a ton of politics that go into wrestling. And I don't mean the the bad, just the bad stuff, like, uh, usually the locker room would, uh, Paul, uh, would take care of themselves and have like their own court because they would decide who was right and wrong. If there was feuds and stuff like that, if somebody screwed up, if somebody, uh, messed up a match or something like that. So there, there's tons of politics that go into that, but it also shows, you know, that there's story and telling of like consequences backstage. This isn't just, and it's funny cause this is not like. Oh, you screwed up on a TV show. We got to re-decide if your character is going to be as big as one or if you're the right cast for it. But, you know, you paid for a certain amount of time. In wrestling, you start to screw up or uh, no-sell somebody who's higher up or somebody who's been there longer. You can just get kicked out straight up. They can then make you out of the company, do this and that. There's a lot more to it. Um but so the kind of like giving up on wrestling, you've seen some guys do it. You've seen some guys do it because of injury. You've seen uh, some guys do it because it's just ridiculous. I think the biggest uh, story that anyone remembers of this is um, the uh, Montreal screw job. Probably the most arguably because there's a ton that other company or WWE tries to push is more important. But it's the most memorable other than I'd say. Hulk Hogan slamming Andre, which happened before that. That wasn't the first time that it happened. Hulk Hogan also wasn't the first one to body slam him. Uh, hate to break that. Um, but it's the most memorable moment. It has to be. I think arguably everyone knows this moment because some consider it the moment people knew wrestling was rigged or fake. But the truth is, is it was the moment you realized that there wasn't just story. There's more to wrestling. There's politics. There's more. There's stuff that like really screwed up. If you don't know it, which uh, I'd be surprised if you don't, but the rundown is is Shawn Michaels was facing Bret Hart. 
in a championship match for the title. Now, Brett was going to leave for WCW. Um, Brett also had seemed to have the point where he kind of was just done with WWE. A lot of guys in WWE, WWF at the time, were kind of done moving on. Hulk Hogan, stuff like that. Ric Flair. Like you'd had guys who left, but Brett had the title at the time. Now, Brett didn't want to give up the title because he's Brett the Hitman Hart. And some would argue they wish he didn't because because of a kick by Goldberg, he had to end his career short. Um, but when he faced off against Shawn Michaels, uh, it was going back and forth. Then Shawn got Brett in a sharpshooter, who's a sharpshooter, I believe. Um, and the ref reigned for the bell. And Brett kicked out of the move and everything. And there was just this moment of shock. Because the fans couldn't believe Brett lost and didn't see him tap. And Brett was freaking out. Because Brett knew he just got screwed over. And there was this infuriation in the ring. You had even Brett Hart who was yelling at Vince. Who at the time was just a commentator and a lot of people didn't know he was in charge. But after that match you knew uh, he even spit on uh, Vince McMahon. It was a moment where things got real. Where it wasn't just there was a choreographed match with a decided or not decided outcome. It was that the outcome wasn't supposed to happen. And what happened after was the biggest thing ever. Like, everyone watched as people were freaking out about it. Uh, Brett was throwing a fit. And at first would not leave the ring. He was getting infuriated. And now we know that there were also uh, there was almost no one backstage who knew about it. Because um, in a recent interview, Undertaker talked about that he was in the back pissed because he had no idea this was going to happen. And he was kind of like one of the head honchos in the back. Um, so it was one of those things where it's like no one knew about this. There was only at least two. There was, of course, a few more referees, stuff like that. But the two major players in this were Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon. Now, Sean went on to claim he didn't know, but obviously you knew, and it was known that he knew. But Vince uh, did the biggest move in wrestling with, I think, not knowing the consequences of some of it, um, but knowing that at that point, everybody was watching Everybody was looking at the TV, wondering what was going to happen next, how Brett was going to react, what was going to happen next week. And there's some things that happen in wrestling that really change how you look at TV or make you watch it because of just something that happens. So more people were turning in. So people who didn't watch wrestling were turning in because there was drama. And like it or not, that made views. Um, another example is there was one night... Um, on a Monday Night Nitro that WCW probably regrets, where they announced, like, don't turn into WWE, because uh, we'll let you know now, Mick Foley's going to win the title. Everybody switched to the channel, because I want to see Mick Foley win the title. That's huge. And so, it, it's, there's a there's a 50-50 chance or a, a, you know, a gamble you take with it, but the Montreal Screwjob was one of the biggest moments in wrestling history that really broke open that wrestling isn't just choreographed and, I mean, it's intense. Say what you want. Say how real it is. 
these guys get hurt all the time. There's injuries, there's uh, career-ending injuries, there's been life-threatening injuries, there's been wrestlers who have died in the <clears throat> there's been wrestlers who have died in the ring. So it but it what it did is it opened up the gateways to show that wrestling has a bigger factor to it. All right, I'm going to come back with you to the third part of this of why recent wrestling fans in the last probably I'd say, you know, 20 years should really check out this book and that this series should keep going. We'll be right back. Hey, Joey Galvez coming at you again with another little mini Kickstarter corner. This one is a little different because it's not even out yet. This one drops October 5th, and it is from the genius behind Star Bastard from Scout Comics, Andrew Clemson. This one is called Damn Soul from Distress. Uh, it's it's a fearless secret agent pulled into a game of cat and mouse with a forgotten figure of her past so think D meets the man from uncle uh man andrew clemson's got some great stuff coming out right now he's uh, got this one hitting uh, a kickstarter in october he's got a really cool project hitting the shelves in december with brian silverbacks uh you guys have to check these two kickstarters out you heard it first right here on Two Scout Geeks Kickstarter Corner. We'll see you later. Now on back to the show. So we're back with you, and what I'm going to talk about now is probably the biggest reason and the biggest wrestler of why you should check out this book because it points out exactly what this kind of book, who this fan that would want to read this is. And that wrestler is CM Punk. Now, for most of you, you know who CM Punk is. For some of you, you make fun of him as the guy who got beat up in UFC. To which I will remind you, sure, he got beat up in UFC and made $30 million. I would have taken that beating too. Say what you want. Make fun of him. He laughed to the bank. But CM Punk was the first wrestler. Now, there's been other wrestlers, but the first real wrestler to take his art of wrestling and what he could say on a microphone and break the doors open. Now, he had insane talent. So he started off in uh, the indies, of course. Um, And as we all know him, he's a Paul Heyman guy. But he started off, he made, and he was in ROH. He was in other companies before that, but ROH is where he was big first. And he made an insane storyline as he was even leaving there about taking the ROH title to... WWE. Now he ended up losing it, but it was a fantastic story. And it was a send off that he, most of the guys who, when they left there at the time, because ROH is different now. And it's, it's marketed now as it's just an indie that's uh, just as good as anybody else, which is true. Cause honestly, back then they were, they had insane talent. They, they had almost most of the main guys that are in WWE now. I mean, they had Seth Rollins, they had CM Punk, they've had Samoa Joe, They've had uh, Austin Aries. They've had tons of guys. But it was one of those things where it started to show of how good this guy was. Because what he could do on a mic was just as good, honestly better, than what he could do in a ring. And honestly, he, in a ring, was phenomenal. Because for me, he started off in ECW, and they started that brand as a third show, which paved the way, I believe, for NXT, because the idea was it was also mostly new guys. There were some veterans on there, uh, and honestly, I'll give a huge shout-out to William Regal, who doesn't get enough credit for the fact of the amazing wrestler he is, 
He's not he's not a high flyer, he's not an insane wrestler, but he was just good. Like he was a fantastic wrestler. And honestly, some of CM Punk's best matches were his feuds with uh William Regal in ECW. Um but he broke his teeth there. The first night he was announced, it was this cool thing of like, hey, ECW guy. Like, because they kind of painted him as like, he's a, that kind of wrestler of like, he's old school. And he, his, a lot of his style was old school wrestling. Is he was just entertaining. Slowly but surely, we started to see more of him. And it wasn't until we got his first uh, Money in the Bank win where he won the title. Uh, that we really saw CM Punk start to come out. Now, it wasn't because CM Punk was starting to come out. It was because of the feuds he had to go in because it felt like at first that WWE wanted to be wanted him to be a certain guy, but it wasn't until they let him turn full heel that CM Punk turned into the wrestler that, like him or hate him, was the guy that you needed at all times. The iconic moment was when he shook Jeff Hardy's hand when Jeff Hardy won the title or retained the title or got the title. I can't remember exactly, but he went in and he shook his hand and then he hit uh, Jeff Hardy with the the microphone because he was about to talk and then he just hit him. And it was that that paved the way for one CM Punk, but honestly, one of Jeff Hardy's best feuds um, because Jeff's amazing. I love Jeff Hardy, but he's not uh, very good on a microphone. Uh, his feuds have always been more about just the style than the mic work, I feel. Um, but that especially was a moment that it didn't. you didn't need Jeff Hardy to say anything on a mic. Because CM Punk tore into him about his uh, drug abuse, uh, his past... His constantly getting his chances and failing and stuff, which was true about Jeff. But CM Punk brought real life into the ring, to which now a lot of it's frowned upon. But the, at this time, he became the heel that you wanted to hate, wanted to hate. And he was the heel that really started to break the door open for himself and other guys. Like we had heels that were fantastic during that time. You had Edge. Um, there were a couple other guys, but, uh, Triple H, the, and his whole faction, but Triple H has always been the guy. He's better as a villain. Like as much as he can play he hero, the good guy or stuff, Triple H always could be a villain and didn't matter how, which way he just was phenomenal as a villain. But CM Punk started to break that door open and start to show like how good he was. Um, he went back and forth with different storylines and he used to, he'd butt heads with uh, the creative team with Vince and stuff. I remember he had his faction that I can't remember the specific name of, but pretty much like, Oh, the, the straight edge society. That's right. It was the straight edge society and painted himself almost as like a Jesus figure or like a, a Messiah figure, uh, which is funny because now WWE is doing that with uh, Seth Rollins as the uh, Monday, Mi- Monday Night Messiah. But it turned into one of those things where you watched it happen and you could see the fans hate CM Punk. Like they legitimately hated him. There were people that literally hated him. And it was like this was a character. This is all the, all the people's claims about fake and stuff. There were tons of people that don't even watch wrestling that were complaining about this. Like 
he was breaking boundaries again. And it it was happening a bit. Uh, John Cena, who of course was the biggest guy in the company, had broken it because he was I people knew about him. He was uh, slowly becoming the face. He was definitely becoming like where he was like the kids guy and everything, where you wanted to cheer for him or kids cheered for him. But you saw as uh, CM Punk went along. One, he was a fantastic wrestler, but everything he touched was just an amazing idea. So one of the things that we all remember is Sam Punk went back and forth, Paul Heyman guy, stuff like that, is we're going to get, of course, to the biggest point is the pipe bomb. Now, I want everybody to know that Sam Punk not only, because a lot of people still say, was the pipe bomb planned? Well, it was planned in a sense that he was going to get to talk on the mic. And what's genius about Sam Punk is he balanced it. Because he could have just spoken 100% from the heart, and that mic would have been turned off right away. And even after that, or a little before that, he would say things on the mic that could have gotten him in trouble if it weren't for how he worded it or in the scenario he did. Because one of the things with CM Punk is he was great at pointing out the fact that he's like, I'm the guy, and this is what's wrong with you. But he would do it so that the company would still want it, because he wouldn't overdo the fact of like calling out Vince or stuff of being like corrupt or like screwed up. He would say it, but he would keep it in the context of he knew that how it would air because he was still the wrestler who was smart on a mic, who was a businessman. He was like, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it. So that way you'll still want to air it. And he knew he was live because at, at that point, if it were, which he was frustrated, he was kind of done. He, when he threw the pipe bomb, he could have thrown down anything, yelled, screamed, cussed, and all that. He could have gotten thrown out right away. But what he did is he set in motion a lot of what fans were feeling, too, because fans were irritated with certain things. You watched as some wrestlers who were favorites kind of get pushed to the side. You watched as some guys who got pushed who were Vince's stereotype of just huge muscular guys. Um, who couldn't wrestle or do anything on a mic or talk or any of that were getting pushed. He pointed out all the flaws that we saw as fans and made us say, yes, that's how I've been feeling. But a lot of fans didn't want to admit it. They just loved wrestling or were watching WWE because that was the option they had. There wasn't other wrestling at the time. Like we don't have now where we have ROH where you have AEW, New Japan, like we didn't have the ability to watch the stuff we have. Um, but he really opened up the gates for that, where he talked about it, he pointed it out, and that pipe bomb is now the most iconic moment we have. The bigger thing, though, is that it wasn't just the pipe bomb that really started to show CM Punk and his talent. It was how he then went after that. Because there were some times where he talked on the mic, especially to Triple H, where you saw two guys who were insanely good at what they did, who insulted each other in the best ways they could. Because I, I loved when Triple H would insult CM Punk on the mic, because he pretty much uh, was like putting him down of like, you're just trying to get where I'm getting, or where I'm at. You're trying to be where I am, but you're never going to get there kind of thing. But he would say it in ways that were so insulting. And the same back, CM Punk would do it, insults to Triple H that were so insulting, but he would still say it in a way that he was like getting away with it. Now, 
a lot of the people still think CM Punk is like the biggest jerk in the world. The big factor is he wasn't. You know, he's a jerk. I, I still see like there's a ton of guys who say that, but he would have like talks with other wrestlers. He would talk to Triple H. He wouldn't just go out there with Triple H, insult Triple H, and stuff like that. He respected him. So they actually had like talks about like what they did. He even uh, had one time where I believe it was The Rock. And they talked about like the what they wanted to do on the mic and stuff. He he got more respect from The Rock because he wanted it a certain way, but it was that they they there was a mutual respect of wanting it to be the best it could. Um, like the same thing. A lot of uh, CM Punk's end feuds or big feuds, of course, were John Cena, where everybody thought CM Punk hated John Cena. The fact is, they're friends. Like him and John Cena are very close friends. Um, and the funny thing is, is though, like everything in the wrestling, you would think they were the worst enemies, hated each other, you know, like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart style, like don't get along. But the fact of the matter was is that no, he was just that good at on a mic to make you think that he hated the guy, even though he a, a couple times did say like, I love the guy, but that you believed they just hated each other. And the fact of the matter was they didn't. They were very close friends. There's even an episode I remember. It was an off-air episode or an after-the-show thing of uh, WWE where it was John Cena's birthday. And CM Punk was the guy who came out and just started getting everybody to sing happy birthday to him. This was one of those things. Like uh, Another one that was uh, one of his closest friends at the time was Kofi Kingston. Uh, Zack Ryder, there's, you could go down the line, and it was all guys that were very, very talented on a mic, with what they did outside the ring, with what they did in, inside the ring, and CM Punk just wanted to see these guys flourish, Daniel Bryan, another one, who at this point, yeah, Daniel Bryan, we all know, he's fantastic, but it was one of those things where he was the, he was the first spokesman for the guys that were like, we're super talented, we can talk on a mic, just give us the chance. And you're seeing that more and more now in WWE. You see some of these guys. And now some of them are getting swept under still. But I mean, you're seeing more chances for these guys. And you can say what you want, but this move that CM Punk did was a big factor in that. Because um, one of the biggest things that came out of WWE after or during CM Punk, especially towards his end, was the Shield. Now that was... He still says, and uh, people argue, but it seems like there's enough consensus that it was at least partly his idea. That team would not exist without him. Um, and with that, we got Dean Ambrose, who's now the AEW champion. Seth Rollins, who's been champion multiple times. And uh, the guy he didn't pick, which seems to be something that CM Punk has 100% said, um, with Roman Reigns, who's kind of the guy who's been in the system of... Uh, you know, part of the family of The Rock, stuff like that, like the Usos, where it's like they wanted him to be the guy, so they threw him in there. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's fine. Because he got at least two of the guys he wanted pushed. Now, at this point, Seth Rollins, you know, amazingly talented, great on a mic, and runs with whatever they get him. Uh, I give the guy credit, because especially him, he's one of those guys where it's it's he does what they tell him. And he rolls with it, no matter how bad or how good of an idea it is. Most of the time, it's how bad of an idea it is. And somehow, he still makes it good because he's Seth Rollins. Or what, Seth freaking Rollins. That's how he said 
Um, Roman Reigns, one of the not great on a mic. Um, I love that he's now a a uh, Paul Heyman guy. It's hilarious to me, um, but it's way overdue. I think they should have done that a long time ago. And then Dean Ambrose, who at this point was the guy I think everybody loved most out of the three. I think uh, for me, no, there were some that didn't. There were some that liked everybody, the other two. But for me, I think a lot of the indie guys or especially CM Punk fans, uh, Dean Ambrose was the favorite because he was the guy that he wasn't the high flyer. He was just old school, good wrestling, uh, was entertaining, was great on a mic, the psychopath, psychotic kind of character who, uh, oh, and he's now in AEW, he's John Moxley, but, you know, just fantastic. Everybody was enthralled with him. But so CM Punk opened doors. And the reason I wanted to point him out for this book is anyone who was ever in that period of wrestling where you loved that, this is the book for you. Long Live Pro Wrestling. Literally, Evan Dandy is a mix of a couple wrestlers. The Rock, the whole style and everything. CM Punk with like speaking his mind and stuff, but having like a story to go with it. Uh, It's just a fantastic book. And if you're a wrestling fan, you got to love that. So we're going to just get to the bottom point of this. Um, Long Live Pro Wrestling is for anyone who's a wrestling fan of not just wrestling, but not just wrestling, the story, the real life scenarios, what all goes into it, how much work it actually takes, the politics of it. Like it's everything that wrestling actually is, not just the wrestling. And so anyone who's a huge fan of wrestling should definitely be checking this book out. And if you're not, check this out because it'll give you a different perspective on the uh, wrestling world, um, which is still a growing thing. I mean, you got multiple companies now. I mean, especially New Japan, it's another worldly thing. Uh, in uh, Mexico, it's always been an insanely thing where wrestlers had their own movies. Uh, I think it was the Blue Devil who had his own, like, uh, movies and stuff. And I mean, I've even been trying to write my own comic book where I want to write like a kid's book about luchadors and like the, like how much the, cause you know, they, they felt like their outside the ring life was so surreal because it was painted that way. And it's just amazing to see. So it's this huge world. Now for me, I am like the biggest fan of long live wrestling. Everyone knows I'm a huge scout fan, scout master P but I, uh, on one of the shows, James Hike, uh hinted that he had news coming. Now, I have not heard this news whatsoever, James, and that was months ago. So first off, you need to, you need to stop teasing a guy. You need to start working on that, you know, and getting it to me because it's annoying that I don't have any more long-lived pro wrestling because at this point, I want, I want this book to be volumes of books. I want, I want to keep reading this story. But... So I said, you know what, uh, James, because I messaged him on the side, I was like, you can't tease me like that. He's like, hey, don't worry, coming s- more info coming soon. I'm like, all right. Um, but I also messaged him, I was like, hey, because one of the things I like to do is I want to get uh, most of the books by Scout, signed by the writers, the artists and stuff, and have it in my collection. Now, I'm not an insane collector. I'm not collecting these to resale. I'm not talking about prices. I'm not sending them off to get like graded because I want to collect all that stuff. I just I love the art they make. The writing, the the actual art, it's all art that I think is fantastic that I want to collect and I want to 
put up on my walls, just show off, and, you know, it's just fantastic. But so he said, you know what, I'll send you a signed copy. I was like, phenomenal. And if you know me, I think at this point I'm the biggest fanboy of not just Scout, but especially of Long Life Pro Wrestling. So I was like, incredible. Now, I haven't really shown it off, but I'm going to post the picture when this podcast comes up of that. Because he didn't just send me a signed copy. Now, I thought James Hayek was going to send me a signed copy of Long Live Pro Wrestling. Easy, right? Thought it was just going to be that, and there we go. Boom, done. No. So he sent me the book. It took a little while. He said, hey, I'm sorry, it's taking a little longer. I was like, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But he sent it finally. So I got it. When I got it, I didn't know I got it because it came in a scout box. Now, I'm not talking like they come in uh, different packages sometimes and stuff, but I mean like the big box, like... When you've seen on, like, Space Cadets when she, Jen Keen opens up, like, a huge box or uh, any of the shows where they open up the big boxes where they've got tons of books in them, it was that. I was like, okay. At that point, I was like, I haven't ordered anything from Scout in a bit. What is this? Because I was like, I don't, it's not my subscription box. It's not a deluxe box. Why, why did I get this? And so I'm like, okay, I'm all right. I'm just going to open it and see what it is because it was for me. I was just like, maybe I ordered something and I don't remember, which, since it's Scout, that could always happen. So I cut it open. All I see is bubble wrap. That's it. Okay, still have no idea now, and I pull it out, and it's just one thing to bubble wrap, and I don't see anything really in it. I can't figure it out. I'm just like, all right, that's even worse. Now I have no idea what it is, because it's one thing. There's no multiples to it. So I'm laughing at the time, because I'm like, what in the world did I order that I don't even remember? So I unravel it, and I get the bubble wrap off, and I am in awe, like literal awe, because James Hayek sent me a signed copy of Long Live Pro Wrestling, a graded signature 9.8 of the Piper Rudish Comic Tom variant cover, signed. To me, that right there sold me on Scout forever, because I I know I'm a fan, I know I'm somebody who, like, totes them and everything, but it pointed out why I love Scout, why I love pro wrestling, why I love wrestling, and why I love comics, because the world is just such an amazing thing when you see how beautiful it can be with just the kindness of somebody's heart. So I got a 9.8 signature series signed by James Hayek of the Piper Rudick. I'm sorry if I say that name wrong, but I've always said I'm terrible at saying names. Um, Variant cover. And it just blew me away. And that is my prize thing in my collection now. That will forever be my prize thing in my collection. I've got signed comics. I've got signed comics by people who are major in the industry, even. I don't care. To me, this is the prize of my collection. Because it's not that it's a signature series. It's not that it's graded. It could have came as just the variant cover. It could have came just as sign. It was the fact that my love for comics showed that from James that I love it so much and he understood it, that he saw my love for it and that he wanted to thank me for that. 
And that's one of the th- reasons I've really connected with the Scouts creators is they're very uh, thankful. They're very talkative to the fans. They're very like, thank you so much for supporting. And you will love to see that because it's one thing to read a book. And it's one thing to read a comic. But it's another thing to see that your love of it is like there's just gratitude for that because they want that. They just want to see not just people love it, but that they want to see that people are like, yeah, I loved it. And they're like, Oh, thank you so much. Because that's, that's their payment. Like they make the book, they get paid, but that's not the point. It's seeing that people love the book. It's that seeing people love their work, their art. So with that, a long episode of me just talking about wrestling and some of the history to it and why, if you've ever been a wrestling fan, you should check out Long Live Pro Wrestling. I thank you all for this very long, exasperated episode. So, at the same time, James, with all that thankfulness and how humbled I am by you, at the same time, you need to stop putting me into the point of wondering when I'm going to get more Long Live Pro Wrestling and just tell me. When am I going to get more Lawn Live Pro Wrestling? Please. Now, with that, as always, Lawn Live Pro Wrestling, and thank you for listening to Two Scout Geeks. Scouts, what it's all about. Scouts, what it's all about.